The following is a podcast recorded February 25th, 2024, and an interview from February 20th. We came here to Moscow because we are useful idiots for Vladimir Putin in Russia. We also came here because we wanted the answers to some burning questions. Why would a team picked third in the Atlantic 10 be so inconsistent? Why is Mark Schmidt having a seemingly underwhelming season? The Western media won't report it, but St. Bonaventure has a Soviet strategy to win the A-10. Learn about it on tonight's episode of Tucker on X. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go buy some groceries with this Russian invention that's a magical hand-powered vehicle called a shopping cart. Greetings, Bonaventure Proletariat! Welcome to SB Unfurling Comrades, episode number 60. Comrade Bona X here with SB Unfurled. The- <laughs> People are going to be so confused about this Russian stuff in this whole episode. <laughs> we'll explain it in a little bit. Sorry for the new listeners for, for the big surprise coming up in a bit. But yeah, little Bona X here with SB Unfurled. The Soviet system, it figures that it paid off at UMass Amherst, considering I was at UMass Amherst for that game. That campus is their architecture is straight out of the USSR. Mm, similar <laughs> to SUNY Amherst. It's even worse. SUNY Amherst's buildings are newer. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's seriously like sixties, seventies Soviet block <laughs> architecture at at Amherst, Massachusetts. <laughs> I don't think we debuted the Soviet system there. I like we did play better, but I think what we'll see in Brooklyn. Is, it's going to be like watching an entirely different sport. That is how it'll be like five Drago's on the court. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be incredible. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but we can still recap it, even though this stuff, obviously we're going to um, go to Brooklyn and be a completely different team. We still have to recap this stuff because yeah. it was again, another roller coaster weekend. Yeah. Week. This, <laughs> this week, the last two games, a perfect little microcosm of uh, what this season has been for the Bonnie so far. <laughs> It really was. This is the podcast we probably would have recorded six or seven times earlier this season if we didn't have our little uh, hiatus Mm -hmm. or off a few weeks because it was LaSalle, which was that might have been the worst performance, even worse than the Canisius game. Um, According to Bartorvik, it actually was slightly worse than the game score at 13 out of 100. So that's really bad. And then UMass is one of the better ones at 87. And other than a shaky first half defensively, you know, what I saw there in the Mullen Center looked pretty good overall compared to what I saw in the Gola, which we'll we'll get into the Gola mm-hmm. in a little bit. But yeah, I mean, from your view, like, what did you think were the biggest differences between Wednesday at LaSalle and Saturday at Amherst? Just the energy. I mean, they looked and, and actually I did see a post probably Sunday after the Davidson game that there was like a flu going or an alumni weekend flu. And then it clicked like Thursday morning after that LaSalle game. I was like, wait, did our whole team get like the flu or something? If not, I mean, it it was uh, not much energy whatsoever. Um, We went down 20 at one point. The passing was not crisp. Um, We relied way too much on Venning, um, who, you know, is one of the best bigs in the A-10. But as we've said so many times, like we have a lot of really good guards for 1,000-point scorers. We wanted to play through them um, and let that open things up for Venning. But, you know, 
we went into LaSalle and Venning took seven of our first 10 shots. Um, and to his credit, he was hitting, you know, he was like eight of 12 at one point. I think he had 20 points. But, um, you know, when that happens, I, I feel like it, it kind of gets us out of an overall rhythm and we just it kind of slows the pace where a lot of our guys are, I, I think, would be um, a little bit better playing in a run and gun type uh, ordeal for at least for certain stretches. Um, and Micah Adams Woods and Charles Pride are, are two best three-point shooters probably at least this season by percentage cer certainly micah adams woods they're both top 10 in the conference in three-point percentage um, micah's adams 18th woods, in the country 18th in the country second or third those two combined for like three or four shots um with and without pulling it up you know yeah two two threes or three three-pointers we it's 2024 especially if LaSalle is hitting their threes uh, and credit to them. You know, they, they played well. This isn't just us playing shitty. It's LaSalle, especially Deshaun Shepard and a couple other guys. Um, it was LaSalle's the shots. LaSalle's on a heater too. They, they are. Beat they, yeah. I, and they beat Rody on Saturday. <laughs> I watched them today against Rody. They blew them out. I think they were up like 20 or 30 again. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, short answer, energy, um, shot selection and style. But then, you know, that again, bit us on the defensive end. I feel like when we get out of that rhythm and, you know, go cold, it, it affects us defensively. There are a ton of LaSalle breakaway dunks. Um, and if you, but going into the season um, and looking back now, you have Auburn on your schedule, who's, you know, really good team. You have Florida Atlantic. Richmond turned out to be a really good team. I don't know if they're quite going to get in at large. They probably have to win out. But, you know, that's a, at one point look like they could have been an at large caliber team. So the four games that we have lost by double digits this year, Florida Atlantic, we lost by 10. Richmond, we lost by 11. Auburn, we lost by 17. The other one is LaSalle. <laughs> like, we lost by 13 to LaSalle. We were down 20. Um, really weird, weird game for us. Um, I was, you know, going into Saturday, um, you know, I didn't have much momentum behind me. That's for sure. After that no. letdown Wednesday, luckily we turned it around like we seem to do. Um, it's like, it's just a, a back and forth almost every game. It's like, which team is going to show up? But um, yeah, really, really disappointing, unacceptable effort in LaSalle. And, and just, uh, you, you can't go down to a team like that who had just lost nine of 10. Um, so really, really bad, bad feeling. And we would have put this out after that game. We wanted to come out <laughs> with this after a nice win. And then we were like, oh, shit, we're going to have to wait till UMass, maybe even Loyola. Um, but, oh, my God. Yeah. Well, thank God that UMass, they beat UMass. Cause... But you were in Gola. You were in yes. the, you were the Mecca, uh, the, the A-10 Mecca. So how was it? First on, off, everything you're thinking about Gola is 100% true. You, you, but you don't smell the chlorine until you go near the pool. Um, I actually didn't realize it. The, the pool is like almost two floors below the court. So it's a little bit further away, but it is fascinating to go to the bathroom right behind one of the baskets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it just, just to walk right in. It's not even a door. There's, it's an open yep. entrance to both the men's and women's room there. So people just go into the bathroom in the middle of the game, like right in the court. Um, it smells like just, wood and plastic like it smells like uh, an elementary school gym like you would imagine like the, yep. the the fresh like coat of wax that they put on the court or something absolutely it, it just permeates there the the bleachers are you know they're they're 
they're pretty rough too. I mean, they're not too different from Bonaventures, I guess, but still it's, it's an arena that definitely needs to get fixed up. I'm, I didn't want to come here and shit all over the Gola, but after that performance, I, and the seven and a half hours I wasted driving. Yeah. That's going to happen where I'm going to uh, not be very nice to the goal. I will be nice to the, the uh, goal the goal boys, rich from, uh, from OnlyFans, watched the game with him and a couple of his buddies. So I met a few LaSalle guys. Shout out to you guys if you're listening. The other guy, Dennis, wasn't able to make it, but he gave me his ticket. So at least I got a free ticket. And at least I didn't have to pay to watch us lose by 20. Having said go. all that, the actual game on the court, I, I hadn't heard anything about a flu going around. And it doesn't surprise me at all. I know, That was the least amount of energy I've seen out of any of those guys this year. Mm-hmm. It made me actually kind of angry because I was wondering, is this like their one, two, three Cancun moment? But I yeah. think they proved that that's not the case with the win over UMass. Yeah. I, you know, it's been the same problems that we've talked about a lot of times when Chad, he's a great offensive threat, but the problem is it takes too long to develop a lot of plays off of him. So it just completely bogs down the offense. Micah and Charles could not get going at all in that game. And that pretty much sealed the deal because they didn't defend very well from three but other than that LaSalle wasn't really taking over until around the 12 minute mark I believe mm-hmm. somewhere around then and then I remember they went small ball they took out uh Jochus and mm-hmm. we eventually di- oh, we eventually put in Barry but what happened is we left Noel Brown in and they their guy who was their their small five he hit like back-to-back threes and helped spark a run and that pretty much ended the game and it was that's an adjustment i wish schmidt would have made a little earlier and you know maybe in the soviet system that that adjustment will come out more but i do think that it was it was tough to come back from that onslaught and i think that goes goes down to you know how well lasalle is able to shoot from deep even their bigger guys so that's a credit to them. You know, LaSalle may get themselves out of the pillow fight when all is said and done. They're only a game back, I believe, now. They're a yeah. game and a half behind uh, Duquesne, maybe. And they play Duquesne, I believe, uh, yep, coming up this week. So, you know, I'm not forgiven the LaSalle loss. LaSalle is still like the worst team in Ken Palm and all the metrics. But, you know, LaSalle is on a bit of a heater. So, you know, maybe it's something that was a little bit of a wake-up call for the guys because they were able to do it at UMass. So, Getting back into UMass, um, what do you think about how they were able to lock down defensively in the second? Like, what was the big switch for you after that? Whatever that nonsense was at the end of the first half, which that happened thirty-seven <laughs> feet away from me. I, yeah. I was, I was, I was incredulous. I was like, "What the hell yeah. am I looking at right now?" <laughs> uh, for those first who of missed all, it, for those who missed it, we fouled a three-point shooter with about six seconds left. Uh, then, yeah. we, then I believe. He made two or three. He missed the third. Chad got the ball with like a second left. And instead of just doing the the stupid three-quarter court heave to, you know, just go in the locker room, he traveled. And then yeah. they fouled. And they fouled somebody on the inbound pass with 0.9 seconds left. So they, you know, went from being down or being up three to being down two, I believe, at the half. Right. So that was a whole weird sequence. But once they went in the locker room, what changed? I'm glad we ended the second half much better than the first half. And even before all that, like UMass missed a shot and it looked like we had the rebound and we couldn't gather it. And then Flowers tried to save it and threw it to a UMass player who threw it to Cohen for an easy bucket. 
Um, and then, yeah, the, the foul uh, on the three point shooter and the foul on the inbounds and the travel, a lot happened in that last minute. It was uh, um, and that came after uh, an Adams Woods three, I believe. Um, but I do find it interesting, by the way, that you think we're going to have to make adjustments when we play the Soviet system. We're going to be up like <laughs> 50 points the entire game. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, in the in the first half, though. I got worried when I, there was probably 10 minutes left or so. It's around halfway through UMass hit a three um, and then Evans turned it over and UMass had a breakaway dunk to go up like six. And, you know, some of the guys are just kind of like jogging back and not really, you know, getting back on D even though it was a, an obvious breakaway. But after that, um, you know, it was just a back and forth game the entire way. Just, um, there wasn't really a big run. It felt like a six Oh run was huge in that game. Um, if you had to guess, cause I said Venning took seven of our first 10 shots against LaSalle. If you had to guess when Venning took his and hit his first shot, when would you guess? I would say like it was pretty early on, but it wasn't. I mean, he I would guess in the first five minutes, his first shot wasn't until nine forty one left in the first half. Really? So he went over 10 minutes without getting a shot, um, and they were fronting him. Cohen did a really nice job um, fronting Venning, not letting him get the ball where he wanted to. And we did a good job on our end fronting you know, Asa and Barry, fronting Matt Cross. Matt Cross on my player ratings is the second highest rated player in the conference behind Duran Holmes, who's a, an All-American. Um, yeah. And you know, he, we, we pretty much shut him down. Um, you know, he, he's one of the more multifaceted players in the league. He can play in the post. He can shoot threes. He's a good passer. He's a good defender. He does it all. Um, but he hit a three early and I was like, oh God, his senior night packed house. He's going to go for like 30. He only hit one shot the rest of the game, the, the final 37 minutes. He went one of seven. Um, yeah. And that one shot was like, it was like a nice pick and roll on the baseline. I don't know if you remember, he dunked it to tie the game with like three minutes left and forced a, a Schmidt timeout, gave him a ton of momentum. But those are his only two field goals. He went off, uh, well, played really well in the Riley Center, and we shut down Cohen there. And then it was opposite in UMass. So um, can't let both of them get going. I think that's when UMass obviously is is at their best because their guards are you know, not as strong as their front court, I would say. Um, right. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, after that, um, well, it just in general, too, like I felt like we matched UMass at what they do best, like their, uh, you know, their offensive rebounds. They thrive um, turning you over, but especially getting offensive rebounds and second chance points. Um it was only 13 to 12 offensive rebounds for UMass second chance points are pretty even. So, you know, I, I thought we did a great job on cross and we didn't let them kill us on the offensive glass, which has happened before. So I think those two things, and then also shout out to Moses flowers who I was, about I, I, I want to let yes. you go, go right ahead. Cause I've, I've gone enough, but yeah. Yeah, I brought it up on the last podcast. I asked, "Is should should Daryl Banks start over Moses Flowers again?" And we both came to the consensus that probably not. But I was more looking at Banks to potentially start. Moses was the only threat to score in against LaSalle against LaSalle other than Venning. And yeah. Moses also had, you know, a great shooting that he put up fourteen against LaSalle, fifteen against UMass, and. 
three of seven from deep, and also he had a couple clutch offensive rebounds, including one to get a putback that helped seal the win. So, mm-hmm. Moses, I, I doubted you for a little bit there. I am sorry. I will not be doubting you again. <laughs> well, that that putback was right after that dunk that Cross had that I was talking about. Yeah, the crowd that was a lot, probably the loudest the crowd got the entire game. Schmidt calls a timeout. They're jacked up. It takes us to the under four, all tied. And yeah, Moses missed that floater. Um, like no, we came out with a really bad possession, and he kind of just heaved it up with no time left. But he gets the offensive rebound, finishes strong. Um, that was really impressive. Then the very next possession was that missed three offensive rebound, missed three offensive rebound. Micah Adams Woods three. And usually, you know, I there's almost nothing in sports. Maybe like a just drilling a fastball, the sound of that, but um, the sound of a ball just going through the net and hitting, not even coming close to the rim, and you can just hear it, um, especially on the road. There's something satisfying about that. But Adams Woods just, like, rattled the rim, and it was, like, it was super loud, and you could hear it on the broadcast and probably in the arena. And I was like, wow, that for some reason, that just thud on the rim, and it, it like, bounced back and forth a few times and fell in. I was like, that is – that's satisfying right there. But, yeah, those two (laughs) plays happened all because of Flowers – um, so yeah, huge. And he's from Massachusetts, a little homecoming for Moses. Yep. Pride of Dorchester. Yeah. He's the pride of Dorchester. Yeah. So that was, you know, very important for him. And I think he'll be very crucial down the stretch as we need some more scoring threats because he's a little bit of a microwave and can turn it on pretty quickly. Cause mm-hmm. I've, I feel like I tweeted a few weeks ago that I was, I said something along the lines of that. He Never misses his second shot. Like his first shot may or may not go in. His second yeah. shot usually feels pure. So and, he's and um definitely great to have as a as a shooter outside. The other guy I had to shout out real quick, uh, because I know people wanna get to Woj, but um Asa. No, the Soviet game, system first. <laughs> Soviet system, yes. Um that, that game ceiling dunk that he had, uh really happy for him because he missed that. Remember how he missed that bunny? It was just a wide open layup with like four minutes yeah. left. And he just totally missed it. Um, oh, that, cool. hap- that 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 happens. Um, it's not the first time or the last time we'll see that, but he's the one to come back and get that dunk in the midst of a, a late nine to one run to give the Bonnies the win. But um, also on that play, Adams Woods looked injured. Not sure how serious that is. Ho- haven't heard anything. Hopefully, he's good to go for a big game against Loyola. Yeah, that'll be crucial because. Even though we're out of the double by race, essentially, and mathematically, we still have a chance, but we're recording this at Sunday night and VCU did beat St. Joe's. I think that was our last mm-hmm. chance of getting back into the race. But, yeah. you know, like we said last time, double by has lost a little bit of its importance with the Friday off day and the conference is so equal from the top eight that I don't really think it's that crucial of a thing. But still, we want to keep the momentum going. Soviet system. For those who are unaware of the Soviet system, do you want me to explain it or do you want to explain it? Because you were the first one that blasted it out. Yeah, so after the LaSalle game, um, apparently there was a leak that got out from the, uh, I don't know if it got out from the the program, a player, yeah, possibly the KGB. Um, (laughs) Yeah, a leak got out after the LaSalle game and 
you know, people were like, why is our offense looking so bad? We don't do anything. Lo and behold, um, this leaker said that apparently Schmidt's keeping a secret offensive system. Um, and he's keeping it secret from the entire A-10, the entire country. He's losing games on purpose. Our players are missing shots on purpose. So <laughs> we can go into Brooklyn and unleash what is now being heralded as the Soviet system. There might Actually, be a, a different word for it once it gets out and we talk about it after we win the national championship. But yeah, we are going to unleash a, a totally new offense. That is, it's like when the Wildcat came into the NFL and no one knew how to yes. defend it. This is what this is going to be like. No one will know how to defend it. We don't have any details. All we know is that it is the most prolific um, offensive strategy in the history of the sport. And luckily we are the ones who will be um, unleashing it. So I expect, you know, not only March, March Madness run, obvious national championship for the Bonnies, but then you will start to see like NBA teams immediately start to adapt it. You'll probably see it in the NBA playoffs and, and things like that. I am very pumped. We're winning games even without it um, right now. You know, we just beat UMass on the road without the Soviet system Teams probably shouldn't even show up to Brooklyn knowing this. <laughs> so I have the uh, leaked dossier. It was posted on bonabandwagon.proboards.com. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> ever heard of this website, but a sleuth by the name of Maplehurst said, and I believe he translated this from his native Russian, and I quote, The old Soviet Union teams never played their best in the preliminary rounds. They always saved plays for the medal rounds and did quite well. Like the Soviets, we have to ask, if Coach Schmidt is holding back the players and plans to unleash a new strategy for the A-10 tournament, what is he saving? Coach Schmidt's teams always peak in March. This mm -hmm. A-10 tournament is going to be interesting. By the way, Dayton lost to Mason. The tournament is going to be wide open, and Coach Schmidt knows it. So yeah. that was the wow. that was the wow. that was the dossier, and it gave so, me goosebumps when I read this. Yeah, it, me too. I was worried. I was almost going to cancel my hotels for for Brooklyn. No, nope, mm -hmm. I am back all in on this. Oh, yeah. I am. I downloaded uh, Duolingo Lingo and I'm teaching myself Russian. Dovpistranya, I believe that's cheers Ooh. in Russian. <laughs> Has to be the first word you learn. Of course, yeah. Da, da, of course. <laughs> and yet, yet, no, I know yes and no. <laughs> so, yeah, this is going to be world changing. I believe it's going to be like when Drago knocked out Apollo Creed. That yeah. is going to be every game at the Atlantic 10 tournament. And yeah, you know what? If he dies, he dies. Yes. I can see like a Keith Ergo or, or like Keith Gambra, <laughs> one of the, one of the little Keiths just on, on the, on the wood, the hardwood, just rolling around and just screaming at the heavens because there's just zero chance you can defend it. Um, and you know, I Barkley center usually blocks off that top, um, the 300 section, like it, they, right. they just have like black curtains that come down. It looks better on TV. Yeah. When this is unleashed, you know, you're going to see more fans coming in Thursday, more fans coming in Saturday by Sunday, probably even by Saturday, they'll have to take those curtains down. People all over the world are going to want to come see this in person. It's going to be like Beatlemania almost. And once we show the Soviet system and dominate the Atlantic 10 tournament, we'll be heading right back to Brooklyn for the first two rounds of the tournament, the NCAA tournament. I had a
would like to welcome back a second-time friend here on SB Unfurled and Friends. He may need no introduction, but I'm going to give him an introduction. Class of 1991, NBA insider extraordinaire known all over the world. Woj bombs are a thing because of this man who graduated from our great St. Bonaventure University. He is also heavily involved with the Team Unfurl NIL Collective trying to get Bonaventure to stay competitive in the next era of college sports. Adrian Wojnarowski, thank you so much for coming back with us. It is awesome to be back with you guys. Love listening to you and uh, glad, glad we're coming off a big win last weekend in uh, Olean against Davidson. Yeah, you were able to get there between the All-Star break and... Uh, the Bonnie's game on Saturday for 80s weekend. We had you on last time, right before 80s weekend. What was it like to go back and forth between, you know, the a- end of the NBA season before the all-star break and then just coming to Western New York to do a couple great basketball things? Yeah, we booked a flight. My wife, Amy and I, who's a 92 grad, she came out for a couple of days with me to all-star. We had like a, <clears throat> had a Thursday night podcast at a, at a, uh, there's actually a Bonnie story with it. Did a Thursday night podcast from the Vogue Theater in Indianapolis with uh, Tyrese Halliburton and Grant Hill. And then Friday, we had NBA Today. And so Saturday morning, flew out, you know, 5.45 a.m. flight through Dulles to Buffalo and then drove down from Buffalo, went to the Skeller, and then got there for the tip-off. So it was perfect. And then then on Sunday, caught up with uh, my buddy Mike McDonald, who's a longtime friend of mine. He's a head coach at Damon in Buffalo. Caught those guys at two o'clock and then flew back to Jersey on Sunday night. So fun weekend in Western New York and incredible Bonnie's game and uh, glad to bail on All-Star Weekend early. And um, it's a long <laughs> four or five days if you're going to stay to the end of that. And so it's really more of a Turner TNT event than it is ours. So able to get out of there early. And I can't remember the last. It's been a while since I got back like on an 80s weekend alumni weekend. So that was fun. Saw a lot of folks. And so when I can, getting to a game is, you know, can usually get to a few a year. I've seen, I saw us play Canisius. We went up for the Canisius game. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> that one's still hard to fathom. <laughs> and uh, we saw the Bonnies in Springfield against uh, Florida Atlantic. Maybe one other. Anyway, but, uh, but you know, obviously with ESPN Plus, we can watch. If not ESPN Plus, we're on, right, USA Network or CBS Sports Network. It's really amazing. I think about when I was a student, you know, I used to update the Bonnet Sports Hotline in uh, Jim Engelhart's office, uh, who's the SID, and he would let me, I was the SID intern, and he would let me update the hotline. That's how you found out if we won or lost. <laughs> uh, if you didn't want to wait till the morning box score where you'd look, you know, if you lived in Jersey or Connecticut or New York, you would go down the list of the college scores, right? Left column was the winners, right column was the losers. And you go down the left column first in the East, right, and see if, if our name was first, but I would update that Bonus Sports Hotline. You'd say, "Hey, this is Adrian Wojnarowski on the Bonus Sports Hotline, and the Bonnies win tonight." You know, eighty three seventy six, or sometimes you'd, yeah, it was fun, and and you would people would be calling that thing all night long to get the update, who scored what. It's a different world now between the Brooklyn games and uh, the two games. And that's the other one I saw. I saw Oklahoma state in Brooklyn. I was at that one. That's right. But there's been, there's been, I was going to say six games on the ESPN main networks, either two or you this season so far. That's been great. Amazing. Yeah. We Bonnie's rate well on all their, all the networks. I think we're the networks, know as Atlanta 10 teams go, we, we have an audience. We have an audience. We're the mightiest in the mighty a 10. That's, that's for sure. (laughs) 
That's right. Yes. <laughs> well, we had Brian on and he mentioned that when you came down um, on Saturday, you gave a pitch to a bunch of 80s alums. So I was kind of wondering, like, as far as Team Unfurl and the NIL Collective, for some people, this is very new and they might not be you know, as well read on what this is, they might think, hey, this is just, you know, money going into players' pockets or helping us buy players. There is a lot more to that. But just for like your your general oleander, I guess, like myself, um, you know, uh, working a, a normal full-time job, supporting the Bonnies any way I can, there is also a capital project going on. I think maybe the biggest on-campus history with the practice facility and um, a lot of other updates. So w- what is your pitch to um, people like me who, you know, want to give to Bonas in any way they can to say, Hey, this is why team unfurl and NIL in this day and age is important, especially important for a program like St. Bonaventure. No, it's a good question. And the pitch is simple. Our very existence is at stake and without NIL, we will not exist as an Atlantic 10 basketball program, as the rules are currently constituted. Now, is there a world where NIL evolves, where there are different limitations, caps, um, how the money can be raised, what all those things, we don't know where it's all headed. We just know where it is now. And we have to know and understand that we have to stay competitive in the NIL space or we can't recruit and we can't retain, we can't recruit new players and we won't be able to keep the players we have. I just think people have to look at NAL like it's just another bucket of, and people are asked to give a lot, I understand, but it's another bucket of whether it's six-man club at Bonaventure, which I've been a part of for years, which pays for charter flights and uh, you know budget stuff that go up and beyond um, what maybe is in the budget. It's 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 the booster club. Um, but that allows us, we're a way better program team because we can charter. We we've gotten NCAA tournament bids because we can charter and we're not flying commercial and and missing classes and how exhausting that is, especially because of our location. But NIL right now for Coach Schmidt and the program is vital. It's vital, it is just the reality of it. And we've got to stay competitive. And I have spent really the last couple of years, it almost feels like a second full-time job for me um, in trying to be organized, trying to help raise money, create awareness, uh, connect with the guys and, and make sure that we have a chance to compete. What Mark has done, you know, people talk about the golden eras of St. Bonaventure basketball. We have an incredible history. Given the world we live in and the arms race of facilities and all the things that go into having a good basketball program, this is the golden era. Uh, yeah. What Mark has done to get an at-large to get at large bids at St. Bonaventure, that we'll never, ever see that again. We will never see a school our size get an at-large bid. You, you can win a half-ass conference with a good weekend. Uh, you know, a smaller school than us can win a smaller conference in a good weekend. And, and that's an accomplishment. I'm not saying it isn't. But to get in that large bid means you have to be in a good enough league where you're winning in that league. You got to be able to play a good enough non-conference schedule to get the quality wins. And and we still know that it's stacked against a mid-major getting in that large bid. You know who they want to put in the tournament. They want to put the high majors in. 
course. And the fact that we've gotten in and done that is incredible. And that we've beaten UCLA in the NCAA tournament, that we've taken, won the Atlantic 10 regular season, postseason. There's a lot of us at a, of a certain age who would have never imagined we would see this in our lifetime, knowing where this program was. And so our goal with Team Unfurl is, and for me personally, I want to keep Mark Mark. <laughs> I want to keep Mark Schmidt from retiring to Cuba Lake someday. And I want to keep him coaching because we have the best coach in Atlantic 10. We have one of the best coaches in the country. We want to keep him competitive. We want to give him a chance to win. And NIL does that. And so, you know, our budget has been smaller than most of the rest of the league. We're never going to have the same. We're not going to have the same facilities as Dayton or probably the recruiting budget or their, practice now we're built we're trying to build a practice facility and th those things are important but we're always going to do it for a little bit less recruiting's tougher we got to drive 70 miles to buffalo to fly out you know our head coach can't leave during the season to go recruiting i remember i did 20 years ago this year i did the miracle of saint anthony and i was at saint anthony's every day and i would watch all the college coaches come in during the season and you'd see phil martelli or jay wright or you know whoever was coaching saint john's then, you know, they could come to a St. Anthony's practice and be home for dinner. They could go to, they could go pop in and see three or four high schools and one day see a bunch of kids. Like, let's say we played last night. We don't practice today. They could get in the car and see five or six recruits. We have a head coach who can never do that. Mark can't leave campus during the season. It was a whole day to leave and come back. Those are just all the built-in disadvantages we have. We aren't trying to match dollar for dollar on NAL with, let's say, Dayton. You know, Dayton might be paying one player more than our whole collective is worth. And we'll still go down to the wire with them like we did at Dayton. And we'll still get them in Brooklyn. And who knows what will happen on a neutral court. Because we have Mark and we have the group of players we have and we have a coaching staff and, and a support group that allows us to be competitive, to punch up. But we've got to have NIL. And... I know this, players that we have were offered much, much, much bigger NIL packages elsewhere. Much bigger. And, yeah. I was going to say, that gets into what I was going to ask next is, how have you already seen the NIL collective impacting the players themselves? Because now that's a new landscape where players are able to profit off of their own name, image, and likeness, as NIL stands for. How have you seen this affect them and, and improve their lives already? There's no question. And it gives um, whether it's players, you know, and part of it, too, is like whether it's helping at the warming house or helping in the community, you know, part of Team Unfurl, the players are, you know, they'll help, they'll help to promote the collective, but also to be able to do some things in the community that are helpful. And that's part of the return on it. But I think for players, like we have two players from Syracuse who have been integral and were huge players parts of our recruiting efforts last year, Mark's recruiting efforts, and uh, Micah Adams-Woods and Charles Pride, two high school buddies from Syracuse um, who, you know, obviously Charles played at Bryant and, and Micah played at Cincinnati. Both were four-year players there. And those two could have gone to the Big Ten, the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC. That's who we were competing against with those two. And there were certainly NIL packages that were – three and four times what they could get here. But what we have found is if it's just about money, yeah, they might go somewhere else. 
but it isn't always just about money. But you've got to be able to offer something representative. You got to be able to say, we can do something for you that's competitive in the marketplace. And the idea of those two being close to home, playing together, playing for a winning program in the Atlantic 10, playing on television all the time, all the great things about playing at Bonnie's, and now being part of the history, being part of the lineage of players here that means something and being part of the Bonnie community after they graduate. Those were all factors. And so we were able to recruit those players. And remember, you're you're recruiting new players and you're trying to keep the guys you have. And so NIL and and the collective and, and team unfurl, that's our mission is to help, you know, allow us to compete and allow us to still try to compete at a high level in the league. And we've been able to do it so far. And we're getting more and more people involved. And, you know, we started, you know, we launched the other day, my wife, Amy and I, a, a 50-50 challenge. We're donating, 50, we're giving $50,000 to Team Unfurl, and we're going to match another $50,000 between now and the end of the season. Um, so, you know, that's potentially another $150,000, our 100, and then another 50 that will hopefully come into the Team Unfurl the rest of the season that helps us meet our benchmarks for this year and gets us a good start on next season. You know, we've did, you know, we did a, an event in New York in the fall with Tom Thibodeau, the Knicks coach, whose dad went to Bonaventure, who's a huge Bonnie's fan. He was texting me during the Davidson game. He was watching nice. on television <laughs> during all-star break. And, uh, uh, we did an event in New York that raised, you know, a significant amount of money. We're talking about doing more events this off season in some different geographic locations where there's a concentration of Bonnie people. And the great thing is we don't need everybody to write a $100,000 check. We need people to join for $10 a month or $25 a month or 50 or 100 or 250 or 500, whatever they think they can afford. And the advantage that we have at Bonaventure, sometimes we talk about the disadvantages that we have to reckon with, but what we have is a fan base that is more passionate than anybody else's and is broad in nature. We don't have as many graduates, but the ones we do care about the program and they care about the program because they care about the school, because we all understand that the schools, that, that the university thrives and the athletic department thrives when men's basketball thrives. And we have seen that through the years. It's no coincidence that our enrollment has gone up, that uh, basketball has played some part in the enrollment and the way in which the, the university has thrived here in recent years and certainly during the, the crux of Mark's era as, as head coach and a lot of other people in administration and the university certainly have played a big part in that too. But I, I just think that, you know, for players at Bonaventure, NIL is part of the picture. And I think if a player, let's say the guys we have, that they – love playing bad. They love going to school at Bonaventure. They love the environment. They love playing in the Riley Center. They love playing at the high level we do and playing for Coach Schmidt and playing with their teammates. If there's an NIL opportunity that is competitive, that is representative, that shows we are trying, it doesn't have to be the biggest number uh, versus what somebody else might do at another school. But there's a certain level I think we've got to hit to be taken seriously. And we're doing it. We need a lot more help in doing it. And I think, guys, it fits in with, you know, the new practice facility is really important. The new facilities are important. My wife and I have donated for the new journalism building. You know, we've given in all areas of the in the university, and I encourage everybody to continue 
to give in as many areas and places at the school that are meaningful to them. But hopefully, and I, the, the collective will be one of them because it would be wonderful to have a new practice facility and to have an, to have an updated, all the things that are going to come with that in athletics. It won't matter if we have division two players in the building, it won't matter. Well, and so again, our very existence, and, and it's not hyperbole, our very existence depends on our willingness to commit to the collective and NIL. And that's why there's so many of us working so hard on it and trying to draw more people in and understanding this is in cooperation with the university. We Athletics needs NIL. They need us on the outside to do it. And we need to certainly continue to build our infrastructure within the university and, and, and get people joining BAF and get people joining the six band club and, and, and all of those things that are part of a broader picture of keeping a, a winning program uh, moving. Yeah. And when I think of, you know, the program that Mark has built here, um, you think about guys like, uh, you know, Dion Wright, Demetrius Conger, Ladarian Griffin, guys who the staff went out and found that even in cases of Dion Wright, no other D1 offers. Um, and these are diamonds in the rough that we found and and we cultivated and we helped develop. And we were there, you know, their freshman, sophomore year when they were playing two, three minutes a game. Um, and maybe, you know, they came in to sit behind a junior yep. who, when, when that junior graduated, you know, the, the next junior was there for the two years and they had been in the system for two years and, you know, our strength and conditioning program, you know, made them stronger and, and they bought into the culture of Bonas and the family. Um, and now to think that we can do all that and then they have a good year and then another team can come in and just say, nope, nope, you know. You're coming, you know, we, yeah. we'll, we'll offer you more and you can come to us and all of our hard work. The the payoff is at a football school and that that is very bothersome. So th it's it is very important to be able to compete, um, especially on the front end, getting getting guys compared to our peers, whether it's a St. Joe's or a George Mason or whoever. Um, but, you know, that that's what I think of when I think of the program that Schmidt's built and it's changed so much. So it is good to know that not everyone is obviously the same and not everyone is just going to go to the highest bidder. Some guys are going to buy into the culture and see value in things that aren't just dollars. Um, and those are the guys that we want here anyway. So it does seem like a, a more of a natural match. Um, but like, I, I guess my next, next question would be, you know, you, you mentioned working, obviously team unfurl is its own entity and it can't be technically involved in athletics, but athletics has to have some say, I guess, but who is ultimately like making the decisions on where the money is allocated. If we have a good guy in the transfer portal that, you know, the staff is like, Hey, we could really use this guy, Charles pride. Um, and then the guys coming back, um, you know, how, how is that? How are the, who, who is making those decisions and how is that, who decides like how the money is allocated in that thing, at least that same Bonaventure? Yeah, I think it's it's the leaders of Team Unfurl. We have to allocate the money to, you know, toward those players, those potential players, you know, that can, you know, I, I think the way it works is when a player is being recruited, like they know that the collective is there and they know that it is there to maximize their, you know, the name, image, and likeness opportunities 
for the players. They can talk to previous players and and find out how it impacted them. You know, now we have a year under our belts of, you know, with a roster, um, with our team. So yeah, that is all for Bonaventure. Part of a, you know a big part of it is certainly being able to communicate to those guys once they get to Bonaventure. You know that what the responsibilities are. You know, having you know John John Mickey, who's on our board, who's a, an accountant, to make sure guys understand the tax implications of it. Um, you know, the coaches can't go out and talk about what numbers are or what they're not out there. That's not how it works. You know, we're going to certainly abide by all the rules that exist. And so, you know, essentially, you know, I think as a collective, you can communicate with the guys who are dealing with it more on the day to day would know better in terms of when that point of contact can be made. My goal is to just help raise money. That's, you know, and I think Brian Conigan and Brian Atia, John Mickey, those guys are more the point of contact folks um, that are following the legislation. Uh, for me, it's trying to help raise the money and use my platform and our resources to try to have as much as we can in that collective to be competitive. And so, you know, you mentioned, you know, the days of, and, and it's going to look different. I think fans have to prepare themselves. That roster building is just going to look different. Mark will probably be out in the portal this year signing three or four potential starting players, uh, veteran players from other schools. And, you know, the days, it may not look like it looked with, Andrew Nicholson and Jalen Adams and, you know, Matt Mobley came in as a transfer and had a huge impact, certainly uh, pre-portal, but he sat out a year. It's just going to look different. And you're probably going to spend at our level less time in high school recruiting. And we would love for it to be the four-year, like hopefully Barry Evans is a four-year Bonnie's guy. And Chad Venning comes in after one year at Morgan State and has potential to play three years. That's great. But I think it's going to look different because of the portal. And it is hard in this league to win with young players. You're winning with veteran players. You look at what Loyola Chicago has done. You know, they are an older team. They went in the portal. They've, they've invested in NIL and they've got a, you know, a very veteran group, you know, GW, Chris Caputo is a good friend of mine, the head coach of GW. And, you know, we talk about it a lot and, you know, he's got a very, very good freshman class that has been, loaded up on all the rookie of the week awards from, you know, Buchanan to Garrett Johnson, the Princeton transfer mm -hmm. to Adrian Autry, mm -hmm. Trey, and they're a little more traditional. We're going to take some lumps as freshmen with this group, but watch out in a couple of years when this group's together, we've had Bonnie teams like that. And then the challenge mm -hmm. for school like that will be to, we got to keep these guys. Right. And so um, I think, I think the goal I think would still be to, you know, you're trying to recruit as many, four-year prospects as you can and you got to complement them with portal guys and sometimes there's an imbalance of it and it's tough and I don't know I think every coach and every program is trying to figure out the formula for them for us you know it's being able to be in a position where players care about NIL they care about what is going to be available to them that's just the real world and I think for us it's been awesome to see the enthusiasm for it I think in some cases it's easier for younger alums and older alums, in my experience, who embrace it better. I think there's right. a, like an old school group that just thinks the scholarship is enough and the platform's enough and saying you play to Bonas is enough. And I understand that. And that's why for them, giving to sixth man club, giving 
to other facets, you know, the capital campaign drive. And that's okay. People can give where they're comfortable. But I have found that the younger alumni are more, I think, a little more progressive and a little more open-minded sometimes to the idea that this is part of the landscape and players deserve to be compensated. And they've been not compensated for too long. And that that's this is just the reality of it. We can bemoan it. We can wish it used to be. We can wish it was what it was, but it isn't. And so our job, I think, is to just keep raising money, raising awareness. And I think with Team Unfurl, can we create an infrastructure where geographically, what we would like to do eventually here geographically is to have different parts of the country where we have people kind of in charge of raising money, whether it's in Charlotte, whether it's in Ohio, whether it's in Central Jersey, Northern Jersey, you know, Westchester and Southern Connecticut, Long Island, Southwest Florida, as we go trying to bring on people who can help spearhead events in their areas. There's so many things that I think we can be a part of. Like, you know, if you're ever on Facebook, you see there's all these Bonnie watch parties in different places and yeah. use some of those watch parties to create awareness. And can we get you to subscribe for $10 a month, $25 a month, 50 a month, whatever it is, a hundred a month. And that's our depth of, of, of alumni. And we can grassroots this and really raise a lot of money. Doesn't have to be all the kind of, you know, doesn't have to be what we're doing here with the the challenge and, you know, giving 50 to raise another 50. It doesn't have to be that. And, you know, just getting people to be able to, their dad went to Bonaventure and get Team Unfurl as a stocking stuffer for him or for a Father's Day gift or a Mother's Day's gift for your mom who went to Bonnie's or your aunt who went to Bonaventure. I think if we can market it in that way over time, we can hopefully just make it part of the giving landscape and we'll have a mechanism that will carry us through this era of college athletics and we'll see where this whole thing heads. But uh, to be able to keep our head above water here while we're trying to figure out what it's all going to look like. Yeah, and Brian Conahan on Tuesday's podcast mentioned the first prize that's already going to be a pregame game experience with Captain Beer, which is classic Bonaventure. Better than that. I've done that for free, and I already <laughs> want to win it <laughs> to pay for it. So that's already awesome. You also look at you know basketball as a whole, NBA, and even college as a whole. I've seen how the NIL transfer portal circumstances have changed college basketball. We're now seeing a ton of unranked teams beating ranked AP top 25 teams on the road at their home gyms. So it seems like college basketball, other than UConn and Purdue this year, everybody else seems pretty relatively even. How have you seen the money and the transfer portal? How have you seen these things, broadly speaking, change basketball and, and, do you think Bonaventure can continue to compete in that in that realm? It, it, it has changed it. And it's just, you know, you go from building a program to building teams. And you're just, I think everybody feels like we're building a new team every year. You know, but you look at places like the Ivy and you go, you know, where you've got a group that stays together for four years. And Princeton makes a run. I don't think it's an accident. Princeton makes a run in the NCAAs last year. Yale and Harvard. You know, they're recruiting Atlantic 10 low Big East level players now. Uh, I mean, St. Peter's with Daryl Banks. Right. And, and so I think groups that places where you can keep guys together, but you've also seen places where somebody brings in a whole new team and they're, 
they're really, I'm watching Iowa State last night, and I, it's not the team I watched last year with all the Bonnie guys, and they're in the top 10. Right. Uh, so uh, it's just, there's lots of different ways to do it. There's always been different ways to build a program. That's still true. You know, I think people sometimes, oh, the money's going to ruin it, and the money, like the, you know, the, the NILs, and it just keeps going, it just, and it's fine. And so, you know, you're going to have problems in your locker room. There have been problems in the locker room for as long as I've been covering sports and been around it, and there will always be problems in locker rooms. You know, I hear the coaches complaining about, you know, it's interesting. I hear Rick Pitino talking about wanting a salary cap um, on NIL. Well, I know one place Rick Pitino doesn't want a salary cap, and that's on coaching salaries. And <laughs> and And if somebody ever suggested that to him, so I think that it's fine and it evolves, it changes. It's a little different. It might be a lot different. That's what we trust coach Schmidt to be able to handle is to figure out what works for him and how he can build a program and, and probably a different way than he's done. There's no question. It's an adjustment to him for him and he's figured it out and he's figuring it out. And so we, again, we have the best coach at Atlantic 10. We have one of the best coaches in the country. And we want to keep them engaged and we want to keep them knowing that our school and our support, all of us, can help him, give him a puncher's chance to go out and win. Because, you know, that's what he's done here. What he's done for the program, for the university is beyond, I think, all of our wildest imagination. I never imagined I would see Atlantic 10 regular season titles and at large bids and you know, our record against power five teams is incredible and over the last seven years. I don't have it in front of me, but I know it was like, I think we were 11 and seven before this year. So we beat Oklahoma state 12 and seven. We lost to Auburn, let's say 12 and eight. And think about that. That's 18, 19 games. Not one of them in the Riley center, not one of them at home. Many of them on visit on either, either away games or neutral games. You think about the NIT, we run the table, we go uh, Pac-12 at Colorado, Big 12 at Oklahoma, ACC at Virginia, and then play the Big East in the Garden. Uh, just remarkable. It's just, we're not supposed to be able to do that at Bonaventure, but we can't. Probably can. why they changed the NIT bit now, where a lot more Power 6 teams are going to get preferential treatment. Oh, we were the worst, like, exactly, except... You know, you go to the garden and there's yeah. 11, 12,000 Bonnie people in there and our game ends and the building's empty for yeah. uh, whoever was after us. I can't even remember. I think it was uh, Washington State, Texas A&M, which that's, exactly that's not easy it. flights from, from no, Pullman or Lubbock. No, no. <laughs> or, no. Now, if it, was, if it was a football game, they probably would have filled the garden if it was a but, – but they weren't going to for a basketball game. So, again, I just think it is going to look different, um, but our place will still exist in this. And I just think with team unfurl and being able to raise money and, and just give us a chance to compete because as important as the facilities are in the capital campaign, I get it. We've given to all of these things in our, in our house, but there is urgency around NIL and that's got to be part of part of the conversation and part of hopefully people's giving because coach is not a magician and you've got to give him some tools to work with. And one of those tools, mm-hmm. one of the most important tools right now is, is NIL. And so bringing in Charles Pride and Micah Adams Woods, again, I mean, I'll go, I can think of in the last week of their recruitment schools, like I'm going to combine the two players, NC State, Old Miss, Minnesota, Penn State, Florida, 
you know, those were all schools that were offering these guys and they landed at Bonaventure for lots of reasons. Relationship with Dana Valentine, our new assistant, chance to play close to home, chance to play together, seeing how they fit into Coach Schmidt's system, uh, a Bonaventure environment that they really were excited about. And also NIL, the NIL opportunities that we have at Bonaventure. And without the NIL, we wouldn't have been able to close the gap on some of those other schools that I'm talking about who there were NIL opportunities that were just much, much bigger. And so we weren't offering the most NIL. They don't have the most NIL compared to what might've been available somewhere else, but they're here and they've been certainly super important players for us. And, and hopefully they're having a great experience. Yeah, and, and we didn't really lose anyone last year due to NIL. I don't think anyone was poached necessarily. So we brought back our top six guys. Did. Um, and then you bring in three more really impact guys. I mean, Noel Brown has been awesome the last few games, probably our best backup big yeah. that I can remember. Um, so, you know, you bring back your top six, you bring in three guys with the help of NIL. That seems like a, a pretty good formula. Um, so how, how have you enjoyed watching the season? What are just your general takes of this 2023-24 Bonnet team? And, you know, what, what do you foresee over the next, uh, hopefully, month or so if we can be playing into late March? Yeah, I still think there's a run left in this team. And, you know, the Davidson win, you know, listen, it's been a funny team, right? And you guys said it the other day on your pod with Brian. <laughs> you sweep VCU, you get sweet, swept by Duquesne. It's hard to fathom. Uh, it's been an up-and-down team, there's no question. But I, I do think that this is a talented group. I think they're figuring out how to play together, how to win together. And Mark's teams traditionally – are always playing their best basketball in February. And I think this group's going to, and, and then into March. And I think this group is going to show that. I really do. I, I think you guys know the math on it. The odds are against us on getting a double buy. We probably need to really win out and we need, you know, maybe VCU to, to trip up a little bit. I, I don't know how realistic either of those are, but, you know, we've also seen plenty of teams go to Brooklyn and win four games. Um, that's happened. I think we have a team that's built for the, for that conference tournament, meaning, we have depth, you know, in past years when we'd had to play three in three days or four in four days, and we had a much shorter rotation, it's more difficult, right? Foul trouble might get you, just being tired gets you, but we have depth. And if Chad's in foul trouble, Noel can come in and give you big time minutes. Um, same with the backcourt. You know, we have guard depth. Barry Evans has been outstanding. He just makes things happen on the court. I love watching him play his motor. Uh, he's like, you just seen his physical strength grow, his offensive game grow, and he's always a menace on defense. I think we have a team built to, to do well in Brooklyn potentially, but you know, we've got some tough games. We got LaSalle when we're taping this, we have LaSalle tomorrow night. We got UMass on Saturday on the road, which is going to be tough. And so uh, we, we've got a bunch left Loyola, Chicago. Um, obviously they played very well. We talked about that. So um, but I, I still think this is a team that talent wise is very good. And, you know, when you look at where our preseason rankings were, depending on, you know, who's poll, you know, anywhere from second to fourth in the league, you know, I think that this is still a group that can play, you know, we played Dayton relatively even on their home court and, yeah. you know, I can still see Charles pride, you know, picking up either that rebound or that loose ball and heading down court with, shooters run you know, we're down four with about a minute left right and you can see the shooters run into the corners 
And the guy mm -hmm. steps in front of Charles. He tries to sidestep him. They call it travel. And mm -hmm. you wonder, do we cut it to one or do we get a quick, or do we get something at the rim? And now we're down two with, you know, 55 seconds to go. You know, we were right there with those guys. And so, and we've beaten VCU twice. And so we, we can compete with the best in the league. We've done it. And I, I still think our best basketball is ahead of us uh, this year. I really do. So when you look at this year's team, we've seen, you know, you mentioned it, the VCU sweep, the Duquesne getting swept. It's I've called it the Bonacoaster their last podcast. So what do you think can be changed with the offense, especially to avoid these big lulls of nine and a half minutes without a point at Richmond and countless other similar circumstances? What do you think can change offensively? I, you know, I'm not going to pretend to know better than what coach I think coaches, you know, he's an offensive genius and, and he's what, what Mark has always been able to do to me is maximize. We've had great offensive teams. We've had great defensive and rebounding teams. He's always been able to maximize the strength of the guys we have. I just think it's harder to do it in short order the way maybe it was in the past where guys have been in the system, even though Micah and Charles are very experienced college players, they're not experienced in our system and guys learning to play with each other. And Certainly that's been part of it, but it's, you've had this feeling this year of when we played well, we've all played well together. When we haven't played well, we've all played poorly together. And so you see these 90 point outbursts, 85, 90 shooting at a high clip, like you saw against Fordham or, you know, Rhode Island at home or, you know, Niagara on the road and turned out Niagara was a very good team, probably better than we knew early on. And then there's games where we struggled to we struggle to score the ball and against Duquesne against Fordham in the one loss. And it's probably been a little baffling for everybody. You know, I think taking care of the ball has been a little bit of a problem for us. I think Chad is still learning to Chad Venning's been awesome. Like what a development story he is like all credit to him for coming in completely remaking his body and seeing what he could be as a player and maximizing that at Bonaventure. And I think, you know, he's still learning in his career. He hasn't been the focus of, he hasn't been, he didn't, most seven foot or most six foot 10 guys grew up getting double teamed and learning to pass and play make out of the post. This is new for him. He's never really been that player. And so I think it's a learning experience for him in the post to pass out of the post, to make quick decisions. And I think he's learning to do it. I think he's made incredible strides in his time at Bana. And I think those are just things sometimes people forget. These guys are are still growing as players. And, um, you know, I think Chad is – you've got to double that guy. And you've got to double him in the post. Noel's been just a beast inside, just a tremendous rebounder um, on the offensive boards, defensive boards, good finisher around the rim. And so it's great to have some size and strength like with those guys. You know, we've, we lack that. There, there were some periods where we lack that. And – to have two high-quality centers, both of them, you know, portal guys who came in. And 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 I still think like Daryl, you know, Daryl Banks, I know, has had some tough times this year. All that kid, I know that kid puts in the work. And even when he's not scoring, he's going to guard people. He's going to contribute in other ways. And when you work as hard as Daryl Banks works and you put the time in, the shot's going to fall. It's just That's in my experience. Like you're and, and you've seen it in spots this year. I still think Daryl Banks is going to get on a run this year and carry us in a couple of these games where maybe our offense gets a little stagnant and all of a sudden 
you know, Daryl did that last year. That's why he was first team all league. And and I what I really love, I love watching Charles Pride, his leadership. You know, I think of he has a 25 point game against who was that guys? Um let me look that up. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, but he had a you know, he had a 25 point game. And then the next game, Banks and Moses Flowers were going off mm-hmm. at home against who was that? Uh that was St. Joe's. Uh Pride had 25 against Rhode Island. That's right. He had Rhode Island and then St. Joe's. All of a sudden, Banks gets going, Moses gets going, and Charles's minutes are limited. And you look over at the bench, and all he's doing is cheering on his teammates. All he's doing is being a great teammate. To me, that's what leadership is. Mm-hmm. That on that night, it wasn't asked of him. Right. What was asked of him was to be a leader and to set an example. And you can't ask more of a player than that. And that's not, I don't take that stuff for granted. Um, and that just shows his character, who he is. And those are the kind of guys, you know, you want it. Like, he's a Bonaventure guy. Like, he's just a Bonnie. Definitely. I saw him after the game at Davidson. We talked a little bit after the Davidson win. And, you know, he's thanking everybody for coming and being there and supporting the team. And, you know, I think he's had a blast playing for playing for us. And it was why he wanted to come. I think Charles is going to make a lot of money in his professional career, wherever it is, because – He's the, he's tough minded, he's dependable, he's competitive, uh, he's skilled, and I think that those are the kind of guys who find their way. You look at our guys who've done well internationally through the years, or whether that's you know in the G League starting off, wherever it is, you know I think Charles has a great future ahead of him, and I think hopefully the year at Bonaventure will have been um, productive for him, and 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 helps catapult him to, to some more stuff after. Charles Pride is maybe the one guy I'm like, I wish he could have been here for four or even five years. Um, just always making the right play. He rarely makes mistakes. He's played over 700 minutes this year, only has 15 turnovers, which is wow. a crazy <laughs> stat. Um, but yeah, and, and Banks as well. I think he is on the upswing. He's another guy. The day he was benched, I think it was Rhode Island. He's on the bench and I'm watching him. No one was more animated and, and happy for his teammates than Daryl was on the bench the the first game that he didn't start um so it does seem like a, a lot of good guys um i did speaking of this kind of i forgot to ask you one thing before we let you go are there any uh, i know denzel greg is on the board for the team unfurl are there any other ex-players or even current guys that have been good and you know helping recruit because sometimes that can be as impactful as the staff or more impactful than the staff i know pride helped get adams woods here but are there any other ex guys that you know fans might be f- very familiar with who have really taken on a leadership role for the NIL collective well Tyler Ralph is on our uh, executive board and oh yeah yep Tyler who played very early in Mark's tenure I think he was on Mark's first team uh, yeah yep. been under Anthony Solomon transferred from West Virginia and and he's always mm-hmm. been engaged and Tyler's built a great career for himself in player development and workouts he's close with Julius you know works closely with Julius Randall of the Knicks and bunch of other NBA players and and so some of our players have gone down to Texas and spent time in the gym with him in the off seasons and so that's important I was just texting with Andrew Nicholson last night you know he's been helpful and him having a business in Canada having Andrew has built such a built a little business empire for himself with a number of businesses and really just not surprised by it but he's had such a certainly a great basketball career playing for three teams in the NBA and you know, getting that one significant contract and then going overseas and continuing to be super productive. And, but I think with 
us, you know, with the collective, there's limitations on what you can do with players domestically who are international players like Asa. We didn't even mention him. He, you know, he finally had a great coming out against Fordham the other day. And so, you know, having Andrew involved and trying to be helpful with, for some of those players, their NIL opportunities have to take place overseas. Um, they're not, uh, some of the rules make it difficult to do it in the States. So having Andrew involved and having Canadian businesses uh, could be a helpful thing for us with international players. So uh, we've talked, I know the group has talked to him a lot about that. So, um, but we want to get guys, guys involved. And I think we're in the beginnings. I think with team unfurl initially, it was, um, you know, the first year we formed it very quickly to try to see if we could keep Asun, Asunye and Kyle Lofton and Dom Welch and uh, Jared Holmes to try to keep those guys. And we were in position to try to, and then <laughs> we got overwhelmed by the big 12 sec. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we put it together very quickly, Brian Atia initially, and then we were going to get some money in there right away to keep those guys. And then <laughs> we just got tidal waved. Um, and that's okay. <laughs> I, I, I understood why all those guys would go. They had been about us four years. They had accomplished a ton and I understood it. Like for those guys to experience like what a football Saturday was like at Florida and, you know, play at Allen Fieldhouse for Iowa State. Like I get it at 23 years old and they got tremendous NIL packages and, you know, their farewell at Bonaventure was in Madison Square Garden to an ovation um, in the NIT Final Four. Like I understood it. Um, yeah. But we want to, you know, like – Losing a guy for the fourth year, or in that case, the fifth year because of the COVID eligibility, you know, we, we want to keep guys longer, though. We, we want guys to have careers like that at Bonaventure. And we won't keep them all. And and listen, we're going to benefit from, you know, there's going to be some to mid some low majors or other mid-majors um, upset that somebody lands in a portal and lands at St. Bonaventure. And we're going to be upset that we lose a player to the Big East or – the SEC or wherever it might be in the future. And that's just going to be part of it. And there have been transfers before. We benefited from transfers before. We've lost guys before. We've kept guys from transferring before and um, who went on to have great careers at our place. And so, but I do think though with Team Unfurl, just the, you know, I just implore folks out there who care about not just the program, but the university, because we all know that as the basketball program goes, so does the broader university. And, these are yeah. difficult times. They're confusing in a lot of ways. I get it. But what we have going for us is a passionate, vast fan base that cares and has always rallied and risen to the challenge. And and hopefully we can get folks to do that again. And again, just this 50-50 challenge. My wife and I are giving $50,000 to Team Unfurl. We're going to match another $50,000 uh, between now and the end of the season um, of subscriptions to Team Unfurl. And so go to www.teamunfurl.com and you can see all the different levels that you can subscribe at. I just, I'm wearing as we speak, guys, my Team Unfurl quarter zip pullover. Which oh, is nice. Pretty, pretty stylish, if I might <laughs> say so. And um, I'll probably be wearing that down. Maybe I'll. Yeah, I'll be. I'll have it on tomorrow again. It may not smell as great as it does today, but I'm going to wear it tomorrow <laughs> down to LaSalle and uh, 
and see if we can get a W there. But um, the smell of chlorine will make it smell like less exactly dirty. Right. Yeah, <laughs> got to worry about that. <laughs> no, but um, listen, I no, I appreciate you guys giving uh, giving me a chance to talk about this and and uh, appreciate what you guys do to spread the word on our great program, our great university, and I know we can do this. I really believe that not only can we not just meet the minimum requirements or the what we might deem as minimum requirements for NIL, I think we can be competitive with almost the whole league. There's going to be a couple of schools that we're just not going to get in their stratosphere of, but I think we can be competitive with almost our entire league and we can mm -hmm. NIL won't be the reason why we can't succeed. I just think as we educate people, as we get out there, and show the value and the impact and the necessity of it. Um, I think people are going to step up and, and and help in any way they can, because that's kind of how people have always done it about us. Yeah. And you have a huge international platform that you've already shared this on. You're sharing it with us here, you know, with a diehard of the most diehard Bonnie's fans that listen to our pod. That's for sure. You know, maybe one day this will grow to the point where we get more money to women's basketball and some of the other sports at Bonaventure. Absolutely. Get Absolutely. More, we, more we'd love to do athletes. that. That's our goal is to be able to do to eventually, I think our short-term goal is obviously men's basketball, but there's a longer term goal to be able to do more, be able to be helpful in some other areas too. Um, but we've got to grow. That's going to have to grow, grow out of this, uh, you know, these beginning stages of the collective, but uh, it's, it's a, um, it's a program we all love. It's a university we love. And, you know, we want to do whatever we can to keep us relevant, keep us competing for Atlantic 10 championships. None of us want to fall back to what it was uh, before Mark. None of us want to go through that again. And there's going to be a world after Coach Schmidt. I hope he's going to coach another 10 years. I hope he does another five-year extension here at the end of this one. But there's going to be a world after him that we've got to figure out how to navigate to. And we need to have all these things up and in place and moving. And so that when the next, when we do a coaching search in 10 years, that there's an NIL collective structure in place that makes our job attractive, along with a new practice facility opening, along with all those new facilities where the job is way better than the one when Mark accepted the job 17 years ago, and that this is a more attractive job you don't just have the spirit of St. Bonaventure. You don't just have the history of it. You don't just have this crazy fan base, but you've got state-of-the-art facilities. You've got a the machinery of an NIL collective. And that's what we're hoping to do is build something sustainable here. Um, not just, let's just try to get to this year and try to get to another year. That's been a little bit of it at the beginning, but I think we can build out a structure where we can have folks working on this all over the country in different regions and, and helping us spread the word. And I said it, I was in the Hall of Fame room after the game the other night, and I've said this in other places. I've talked to Bonnie people. If you are in the Hall of Fame room after a Bonnie's game, or if you're at the eatery, if you're an alum at the Burton, you're one of the crazies. And we yes. need the crazies <laughs> to go out and spread the word. And I said, you know, you're the ones who your friends are sick of talking all your friends are sick of hearing you talk about St. Bonaventure. They didn't go here. They don't know what you're talking about. So you need to be around other Bonnie people who just want to talk about it with you. And I said, mm -hmm. you're the psychos. We need you guys 
to go out and spread the word. And I'm one of how many eight ten alums I've met who don't even know we exist, and we're in the same conference. So that's yeah. just how crazy we are. <laughs> that, that's right. And so those are the people who the people who go to watch parties, the people who you know drive two hours from New York to go to a game in Philly, or the people in Philly who drive two hours on a work night to go catch the Bonnies at Fordham. You're the psychopaths we need. <laughs> You're our people. And we need those people to help spread the gospel of this and the word to others. And and we can do this and we are doing this. And so, yeah, team unfurl and the fifty the fifty thousand dollar challenge is through the end of the season. And so we're gonna raise that money and then we're gonna raise some some more on top of that. And I know we're planning some off-season stuff this summer that Coach Schmidt can be involved at at some events. You know, we can get some some people. Last summer, we had Tom Thibodeau, the Knicks, in an event. You know, we've got some pretty good ideas for some stuff we want to do this offseason. So keep keep watching for that, and um, and and we'll we'll get there with this. Unfurled, I think you need to do a parody of the Uncle Sam I Want You poster and put Woj's <laughs> yeah. face on it and say, you're the psychopaths we need. That is a bond okay. of interest. I'm on it. We need to get off the ground, right? <laughs> That is yeah, exactly it. I like it. That's it, guys. <laughs> we need a Rosie the Riveter, too. That's true. Yes, because it'd be cool to get women's basketball involved with Jim Crowley, hopefully turning things around there in a few years. So oh, he, he will again, do that. No question about that. Exactly. Once again, Adrian Wojnarowski, NBA insider, extraordinaire, team unfurl, NIL collective board member, just an incredible alum for the school, incredible person to get out all the needs of our college as we try to keep up with the evolving college landscape i know texas a&m has a war chest that's probably like the gdp of some small countries so <laughs> we need all the help we can get once again teamunfurl.com follow them on all the social platforms that you can find them on they're doing some great stuff already there's a raffle that's going to be at the end of the season to spend a game day with captain beer that's very attractive to anybody because dom is dom is a wonderful guy so that would be very fun as well Adrian, Woj, thank you so much again for joining us. You guys, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You guys are the best. And uh, uh, let's get a couple wins this week, can we? Let's do it. Thanks, Woj. All right, guys, take care. The only way to live was drown the hate. The Russian life was very sad. Such was life in Leningrad. So we heard it again from Woj. It was a little bit of a two-parter if you listened to us last week with Brian Conahan from Team Unfurl. It's a very crucial thing to get involved with to keep Bonaventure Athletics alive because you see it so much, especially in football, when third-string guys are getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to basically sit on the bench, and that steals a lot of talent. You're seeing it in basketball. I think basketball at the college level has just been never been this full of parity. I think there's definitely a lane for us to get enough money to pay seven or eight guys to come to Bonaventure and keep us at the level that we've been at for the last decade. So, yeah, that's a very important thing. So, once again, teamunfurl.com. Go ahead and contribute any way you can. Yeah, and Woj, you know, he he alluded to it. He said it best. We don't know where this is headed. It seems like every week, every month, um, there's some new law or uh, some new lawsuit. Um we have no idea where it's headed or what the rules might be in a couple of years. All we can do right now, um, and it is a pretty urgent matter, I would say, to, to be able to compete just next season. Um, all we can do now is just donate. And, um, you know, it, luckily we have 
people like Woj and Brian and, you know, John and uh, the other Brian and um, the guys who came up with this collective and are making it work for our athletes. Denzel Gregg, who played a few years ago. Yeah, just going to say all the ex-players that are helping out. Woj mentioned Tyler Ralph, Denzel Gregg, Andrew Nicholson. Um, And people on the outside probably assume like, oh, Bonas is a very small school and they probably don't have much NIL money. There are some bottom tier teams in the A-10 that don't, there aren't working with much. Um, But, you know, they don't realize maybe how, um, tight knit this Bana community is the, the alums, the ex players, the fans in the community. Um, and it's so passionate and, and basketball driven where some of the other schools are more football oriented. Um, the percentage of alums that care really deeply about the basketball team, um, and Bonaventure athletics and the school in general is, you know, it's probably the highest percentage in the entire league. And we use that. We've always, like Woj said, punch above our weight class. I think we can um, compete in the A-10, the top tier of the A-10 NIL-wise because of how passionate our fans are. Um, So definitely by the end of the season and even after, but certainly while Woj is offering to match the 50K, um, you know, sign up a subscription, even if it's as low as $10, that's, you know, it, I put in like three or four bets today that were for more than that. And I'm like, <laughs> it's like, you know, sometimes you don't think in, you mentioned like, uh, you know, a, a cup of, co- a couple cups of coffee, a um, Netflix monthly subscription that you don't use <laughs> Netflix. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love the subscription model. So, uh, definitely take advantage of that now while Woj is matching it. And let's let's try to build a good foundation for the players that we need to bring in and that we need to keep. Absolutely. NIL is in our control in the next phase of college sports, just like what's in our control for the rest of the season right now is the Loyola game. Loyola Chicago, first time, I believe, ever coming to the Riley Center, question mark, I believe. Definitely the first time since they joined so. the A-10 because it's only their second season, and we lost in the Windy City last year. Loyola has had a pretty solid season, especially in the A-10. They got out to a slower start, losing to teams like Illinois, Chicago, and um, uh, they lost to Tulsa, who's not that great this year. But they've turned it on. They are on a seven-game winning streak after beating George Mason on Saturday. So they will be coming to the Riley Center on Tuesday. They are slightly below us in the metrics, but they are significantly ahead of us. We can't catch them in the A-10 standings. So what is going to be the biggest thing that you're going to look out for in this match? The Venning, uh, a delicate matchup down low. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and, you know, Loyola has some really, really good players. Uh, Adele can maybe their best, but Sheldon Edwards, Braden Norris, Des Watson, all really good. Alston starts for them. Um, so uh, Adele can comes off the bench, um, backs up, I believe, Mike Miles Rubin, who's also a really good young player. Um, so, you know, Noel Brown inventing, I, I think, you know, obviously staying out at foul trouble, not getting them winded because Loyola has a lot of depth. They probably maybe have the most depth in the entire conference. Um, Luckily we have depth this year as well. So I'm really looking for lifts off the bench too. Um, guys like Barry Evans and Daryl Banks need to have big games from those guys. Um, So, you know, 
Loyola is playing so much better than the beginning of the season. If you look at their metrics, I was kind of surprised how low they were. Um, barely top 100 in Ken Palm. This is a team that has the seventh longest winning streak in the country. Um, I watched them against George Mason. They just looked phenomenal. They looked like they're really coming together and playing as a team. Our defense is going to have to be alert. Um, you know, we can't have those off ball lapses that we seem to have when teams go back door on us. Several teams have really done a good job getting back door, making back cuts and making our guys pay off ball. Um, Loyola Chicago is going to do that. Uh, you know, so we have to really be on the ball defensively, um, be in position. We can't be slow on rotation, stuff like that. Um, and you know, Drew Valentine, as we talk about their entire system, probably going to be a 10 coach of the year. I would say he's the front runner at this point. Yeah, I would think so. Either him or Chris Mooney have to be maybe even. Yeah. I think one of those two have to be, um, coach of the year at this point. Um, you know, this is going to be the last game of a long stretch where we've been playing every three to four days. And it's been, it's been tiring. I mean, I think LaSalle, that game might've been an example, whether it was the Bonaflu or just general fatigue. It's, you know, it was, it's been a long stretch. And after this game, they will have eight days off before playing at GW and the season will end at GW and at home against SLU, which will be about as easy you can get as you can get to end the season. Looking at, you know, it's going to be the last game, the second to last home game. It's going to be a game without students, so you would be a little concerned about the crowd. We need to get the, uh, the townies to get all fired up for this one. I think with when it comes to Loyola, they have a deep bench. They are one of the best teams, or they play some of the most minutes off the bench in the country. Uh, Philip Alston yeah. is going to be – a good matchup with Charles Pride. I think that'll be tough to control. Des Watson is one of their um, best players as well. He's really good from three. So is Braden Norris. Those two guys are in the top 125 in the country. So they are lethal from three. They do not defend the three very well. They are very good. One of the top teams in the country at defending the two, but the three, they are a little bit weak there. So it is going to be a game that we're going to need somebody like Flowers or Micah or Asa to really catch fire from deep or pride even. That'll be something important because the that's kind of the recipe to beat Loyola. If you look at how VCU beat them, they that's their last loss, and they only have two losses. That Richmond loss at home, I actually watched the end of that game back in January. There's some fishy, fishy officiating, say that five times in that game. So I think that, you know, Loyola could have easily won that game, but VCU shot nine of 15 from three when they beat Loyola. So that's, that's gotta be the recipe to beat them is, is shoot yeah. well from three. Don't get in foul trouble and control Philip Alston. And we don't take as many threes as I would like. And as we said nope. um, a few times last week um, in the conference, we are, uh, 13th out of 15 in three point attempts per field goal attempt. So we really, most of our points uh, are from twos or even free throws, even though we don't get to the line very much. Um, and that is mostly because of venting, but uh, I, I would like to see us be higher than 13th at for three point attempts per field goal attempt. That's for teams that don't really have very good three point shooters. And we do, like we've said um, before. So, you know, going nine of 16 is a lot to ask, but if you can, you know, 
get up to 20 to 24 threes, then hitting nine, 10 of them um, isn't so much to ask. I, I get that, you know, the less you shoot, you might be more efficient, but um, there are too many possessions. I think we go in a row without even getting a three point attempt. And yeah. just one more thing before we wrap, uh, you know, just, I, um, I was looking up because just an overall thought on the season, looking back, um, we're still a Q1 game in the Riley Center. So this is a quad one game for Loyola Chicago. Um, and on the road, you know, we were, uh, I believe, a Q3, um, or if you, if you get us at, at uh-huh. home. But, um, yeah, we are one and four this season against Duquesne, Fordham, and LaSalle. <sighs> Um, so looking me. back at uh, seven losses, um, <laughs> four, I was looking at this earlier, four of them are against Duquesne, Fordham and LaSalle over the last decade. We have been coming into the season 17 and four against Duquesne, 11 and two against Fordham, seven and six against LaSalle. So Schmidt is only 10 and 11 versus LaSalle surprisingly, but historically in the last 10 years, when we got this program started and really ramped up, we have dominated a lot of these teams, even St. Joe's as well. UMass, we've won 12 of 13 against. We've dominated a whole lot of these teams. So this season, that was kind of a perfect storm. We played really, really bad against Duquesne both times and obviously LaSalle. Um, so that, yeah, after that LaSalle game, I was just like, man, we, this team has dropped some to some pretty, pretty below average teams this year. Um, teams that we have a 75% win percentage against over the last 10 years. So looking back, man, it's, it's been a roller coaster and we can beat anyone, but we can also lose to anyone. So I won't be surprised if we, you know, beat Loyola and then turn around and drop one to GW. You just don't know what this team. Nope. I wouldn't be surprised by that either, but you know what? It makes it all the more exciting. We're still fighting for seeding and trying to get into the right slot in the A-10 tournament. Only three games left. We are with you on this home stretch of the A-10 regular season for your St. Bonaventure Bonnies. So thank you again for joining us, comrades. Dolph Pastrana, if I said that right. I don't know. Maybe not. Whatever. I'm still learning. Got my Duolingo going <laughs> on my Russian. Thank you all again, though, for joining us here on SB Unfurled and Comrades. <laughs> Be sure to follow us on Twitter at SB Unfurled, at Lobata X, unless the Kremlin gets involved and shuts down our Twitter accounts, then we'll try to have to uh, <laughs> make a WhatsApp group or something to try to get our information out there. But until then, follow us on Twitter. Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platforms. Give us five stars or the best rating you can if you can rate us. Thank you all again for listening. Thank you.